Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. And a very pleasant good evening to our listeners. Thanks for taking the time out to join us here in the Lighthouse for our program tonight, That's Truth. I am Augustine Erskine, hosting the program tonight, and alongside with me is Pastor Murphy. And we have a very important topic to cover tonight. The title of our topic is How Christianity Has Elevated Women and we have a lot to share with you tonight, so I do trust that you will stay with us for the entire program. I'd just like to share with you a passage of Scripture from First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, which gives you a good idea of how Christianity deals with women. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, say, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they beheld your trace conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that, outward adorning of letting the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparels. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old times, holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are, not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your praise be not hindered. And thanks once again for joining us here on that Truth. Pastor Murphy, you know, history have shown us that the Greeks the Romans and even Jew, the Jews have kept women on a low level, even as slave or as possessions. But when Christianity came along, it completely elevated women, giving them a high status in life. And so we have a question for you tonight. And our first question to you, Pastor Murphy, is what evidences or examples that Christianity have elevated women? First of all, let me just make a, a brief comment um, by way of introduction. 
I know one of the false accusations that are made against the Christian church today, and especially against Christianity, is that the Apostle Paul was a misogynist, a woman hater, that the Christian faith have tried to suppress women for years and for centuries, and that um, it is only in modern times that women have been able to receive some kind of status of equality with men. Um, I want to say that you have no right, nobody has a right to rewrite history. Uh, those statements are certainly very false, and um, if one were to look at the Western world, where the Christian faith has made impact, and compare it with those areas of Muslim countries and other civilizations where the Christian gospel has not reached, and you were to compare the status of those women even today with those who are enjoying the liberty and freedom and equality within the Western society, one can see a clear uh, difference in terms of what Christianity has done uh, for women. Uh, for example, uh, you, you alluded just a moment ago to Greek culture and uh, Roman culture. Uh, I'm not uh, sure if the audience fully appreciate what Christianity did when it came on the scene in the first century world. Remember that the Romans conquered the world militarily, but the Greeks cult- uh, c- conquered it culturally. It's the Greek culture that spread. But the Greek culture in relation to women uh, virtually treated women as second-class cl- second uh, um, entities, uh, for example, the Athenian women uh, were not even permitted to leave their houses unless they were accompanied by some kind of a male escort. Um, their husbands, when they entertained guests, uh, the women were not even permitted to eat or interact with the, the male visitors at that point in time. Uh, women virtually were put under lock and key, very little freedom. Uh, a man could divorce his wife, his wife could not divorce a man. Uh, girls were not sent to school. Women were not polit- permitted to speak in public, and they were always viewed as somewhat inferior. And when you look at the Roman culture, there are also similar practices. Uh, take infanticide, for example. Uh, Roman parents would make sure that they keep the boys, but in most cases they kept the, the healthiest daughter, and then they committed infanticide. That is, they, they either abandoned the girls because um, they were of no value, um, the other thing is that when a woman was married under the Roman law, uh, something called manus, the man had virtual control over her, absolute control. She could not own property. Um, when she went out, she had to wear a veil. Um, according to the fourth table of the Roman law, for example, something called patria paticus, um, it, it conferred upon the husband supreme and absolute control of his wife, even to the point of death. When Christianity came... It changed all of that. It gave women a new dignity. Um, For example, uh, it took care of, rather than allowing children to be abandoned, uh, girls to be abandoned and uh, infanticide uh, to occur, uh, children were salvaged, girls were salvaged and taken care of. Uh, Women were treated with with greater dignity. Read the epistles of either Paul or Peter in relation to the family. What a different concept we find in Peter that was read this evening. How Paul, uh, Peter is calling for wives to be treated with consideration and respect as joint heirs of the grace of life. When we come to Ephesians, Paul will tell men that they're to love their wives as themselves and to love them sacrificially. And in addition to that, uh, they're told that they need to take care of a wife just like they take care of their body. So all of those are things that, that uh, tra- which were changed. Uh, the other thing that we could uh, probably mention, uh, take child marriages. In most cases, in the Roman Empire, uh, a daughter would be given uh, to be married at, uh, between 10 and 12 years old. When Christianity came on the scene, it changed that. It, it made sure that women were a suitable mature age for marriage. 
but until Christianity came, uh, because women were such such minimal value, uh, women, girls were married off 12, 13, sometimes even 10 years old. So it is very clear from history that the Christian faith and the Christian influence of the gospel, once it has come into a society and a civilization, it so transforms that civilization that women accordingly are elevated. Thank you very much, Pastor Murphy, for those opening remarks. You are listening to that Stuart. And as we continue on the program tonight, Pastor Murphy, in your opening remarks, you have shown us how before Christianity came along, women were treated in such an inhumane way, even like they were nothing at all. But Christianity have given women that elevated status. But even today, in the Christian faith, you will find that um, some men try to give women some um, hard time in the church. And I'd just like to ask you this question. Women are not viewed by Christian men as equals. They are told to submit and that they can't fill all of the roles of a man when it comes to leadership. Well, let's be very careful that um, there is a realm in which a woman must submit, but she must submit to her own husband. Uh, that's a biblical teaching. Uh, in regards to the church, let's be very clear again that it's God that defines roles, not man that defines roles. Uh, clearly, uh, I think we had a program a few weeks ago in connection with the matter of leadership within the church. Uh, we, The church has no right to define the role of leadership in the church. God defines that. God decides what's the order within this church. And we saw in Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, that when it comes to the matter of uh, the role of um, leadership in terms of teaching doctrine, in terms of having authority over man, men within the, the assembly, that that has been restricted. And that restriction, as I pointed out to you, is not something that is cultural, is not something that is geographical. Uh, it clearly is stated that there's a historical, biblical reason for that. And it's grounded in two things the Bible talks about. It talks about the fact that man was created first. Uh, God is a God of order. When God created man first, God created man with the purpose of understanding that man would play, play the role of headship and leadership, both within the, the church and within the home. And then the second reason given, of course, is because once that order was um, skewed and the woman began to, to, to lead the man into, into, into sin, as it were, because rather than the woman listening to the man, the man now listened to the woman. Uh, clearly, as a result, that brought about the fall. And God put a restriction uh, when it comes to the church leadership that that role remains with man and is now restricted as far as women are concerned. But that doesn't mean that women can't play influential roles in the church. And leadership role, for example, they can head up uh, missions committees. Um, they could be music directors. The one area that has been restricted by God, not me, uh, I don't think it's just Pastor Murphy saying this, read your Bible, read First Timothy chapter 2, and it is very clear what God says in this matter. But with the exception of the pastoral role, um, there is no other indication that, uh, and, the, and the deacon role as well, because clearly the requirement of the deacon is that he must run his home and um, he must also be a husband of one wife. So clearly those two roles are restricted as far as God is concerned in Scripture. And remember that we are guided not by human opinion or by the cultural changes or by modern thinking. That's not, that doesn't direct the church. The church gets its directives from Scripture. And as the Bible lays down certain restrictions, we have no other recourse 
but to follow the dictates of Scripture, be guided by Scripture. The church is not man's church. God built the church. He formed the church. He is sustaining the church. He's coming back for the church. And he also gives directives to the church that must be followed by those within the, the church. Okay, thank you very much, Pastor Murphy. And we have a question here from a caller. And here's the question. How did the other cultures at the time of the primitive church receive the change that Christianity were implementing? Well, like, like every f- change, um, any time you bring about change, you always get some form of opposition. There's no question about that. Unless change is gradually introduced, uh, if it is done very uh, radically, it disrupts the status quo, and therefore you get a lot of backlash. Um, for example, um, it was a shock uh, to the disciples when our Lord met the woman at the well, and he was carrying on a conversation with her, because according to Jewish social custom, a man doesn't speak to a woman in public. Uh, our Lord was a radical, a social radical in that regard. Um, when our Lord um, met with uh, Mary and Martha, uh, again, something happened there that was completely radical. Uh, that must have shocked the disciples as well, because here was a woman, uh, not performing the normal role. Uh, Martha is performing the normal, normal role of going into the kitchen and preparing a meal, etc. Et but where's Mary? Mary is at the foot of Jesus being instructed by him. That role was restricted to men. Uh, that was not a role for a woman to play, but yet Christ again violates the social norms. And by his violation being the Lord of the universe, he's clearly indicated that um, that women are no longer second-class citizens as were. Just as a man could sit at the feet of Jesus and now be instructed by a rabbi, he's now clearly showing by his example that a woman likewise can be instructed and get her instruction directly from the Master. Uh, she's no longer restricted where she cannot uh, be a disciple of our Lord. Uh, those are just, but those are things that, that uh, happen. Um, even in the church, for example, uh, Paul talks about a woman being allowed to pray um, in, ch- in, in church and, and being able to prophesy. All of that was new in New Testament times. The, in the Jewish synagogue, uh, men and women never sat together. Uh, there was a segregation. Women were not given the right to read the Torah or read the Scriptures. Uh, women were not allowed to pray publicly or even to prophesy publicly. But here you have instruction in Corinthians where the woman is, is, is told that she can, she can pray with her head covered and uh, we're told that uh, she can also prophesy. So that kind of liberty and that kind of freedom uh, that is now coming in the New Testament would have met with, with certain forms of opposition. Okay, thank you very much, Pastor Murphy. Based on all what you have said, um, based on Paul's teaching in First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and also First Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, would it be fair to say that women are denied the freedom of speech to express themselves in public worship. Isn't this in keeping down women rather than elevating them? Well, if you read the context, in, in, uh, you, you read Timothy? You referred to Timothy just a moment ago? Yes. Yeah. Again, if you read the context, uh, Paul is talking in the context of, of um, teaching in an official capacity within the, the local assembly, teaching men and, uh, uh, and instructing men and having authority over men. Uh, he's certainly not talking about the capacity of a woman to ask a question. Uh, however, I would like to say this, uh, in a public meeting, whether a Bible study or even a business meeting, I think it's disrespectful 
for a woman to try to um, almost dominate and to maybe even show up the pastor that either she has more knowledge than he has or she has a better understanding of Scripture than she has. But clearly, uh, there's nothing here that would uh, restrict a woman from being able to ask uh, a proper question and to respond appropriately. What Paul is concerned about is the leadership role. Remember, Paul is talking about the authority. He's talking about the order that the man is the the, the chosen leader. Uh, he mentions Adam was created, uh, created first. So he's not here dealing with uh, the woman's capacity to ask a question or to share. But the idea uh, behind this whole thing is the idea of to teach authoritatively doctrine uh, in that regard. Okay, you're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from Antigua. Okay, Pastor Murphy, here's another question. Brother Erskine. Can I make a few comments before you ask okay. the question? Uh, I let, just want to say a few other, make a few other comments before um, I take the next question, because I, I might, in the process, forget uh, to bring these matters to your attention. Uh, I just want to mention a few other radical changes that the Christian faith has made in relation to different cultures. Uh, for example, I, I'm not too sure if the people are aware that there was a tremendous caste system in India where they had uh, four different categories, and you had what is called at the bottom the untouchables. And it was a very rigid caste system. You couldn't move from one uh, level to the other. Again, I remind you, it's only when the Christian faith entered and the missionaries entered into into the Indian society and uh, completely transformed that society that the caste system came tumbling down. Uh, so that what were considered to be the untouchables, that is the people at the lowest income level, at social level, were treated as though they were they were subhumans. The Christian faith elevated those people because it taught that all men are created in the image of God, all men share common uh, common equality, and all people have certain rights. The other thing, of course, is the, the matter of um, suti, something called suti in, in, um, in India, where if a man died, the husband died, the woman was burnt alive on the, uh, the, the pile where where uh, the man was burnt, she was also burnt with him. That was a custom in India. And again, what changed that was not that the British, not that the the English, uh, the the Indian government one day came came to a conclusion that this was wrong. It was the influence of missionaries and uh, people who became uh, converted that they lobbied against these matters and protested uh, and fought against uh, this kind of a practice. Where today it is now illegal for a live woman to be burnt on the pyre of pyre of her uh, of her husband's grave. But that was a, a common custom. The whole idea of child brides, uh, where a child um, is married off to a man who could be her grandfather, uh, it's the Christian faith that changed all of that kind of a concept within the Indian society. And then what about polygamy? One of the greatest atrocities committed against women. It's the Christian faith, again, that emphasized uh, a monogamous family life, a man, one man, one woman, and, uh, and brought polygamy uh, to an end. Of course, there's a revival of that now uh, with the advance of the Muslim faith, but Christianity brought polygamy to an end in, in the Western world. Uh, and then uh, t- take, um, for just a moment, uh, China. Uh, I'm not too sure if people are aware that the Chinese at one time uh, were trying to get the girls' uh, ladies' feet to be very small because they thought that was something sexy and attractive and it would cause them to walk with a certain tilt that would make them uh, kind of voluptuous. And what the Chinese used to do was to tie the girls' feet 
so that in the process, certain bones were broken in the in the toes and in the ankle, and in many cases, this almost crippled uh, girls. And again, it was only a result of the Christian faith and those people who were converted that lobbied for the Chinese to change this kind of a system. Uh, and so um, today, that too has stopped. And then let's not forget, um, in Africa, uh, where this is a, a terrible system that is still practiced, genital mutilation. It is only where Christianity has gone in Africa that that has stopped. But today, where you have the predominant Muslim African countries, I think 29 of them, uh, as it were, you still have this genital mutilation. It's one of the most cruel, inhumane forms of butchery. It's a mother <laughs> uh, tying and holding down a child, and the, and the father using a razor to remove the clitoris uh, uh, from a lady. And then uh, her, she's put back together, as it were. Her legs are wrapped up to the waist and is left to heal normally. The um, enormous scars that that does, does to a woman psychologically and physically. But again, that custom only came to an end because of the influence of the Christian faith. And where it continues is where Christianity has not been tremendously influential in that part of the world. Okay, we have... Uh focusing a lot on how um, Christianity elevated women. But here's the question, Pastor Murphy. Sure. How do we know that it was actually Christianity that elevated women and not just the intellectual advancement of secular people at that time? Well, that's an, um, that's an interesting question, and this is where um, you have to go back into history to see what preceded the entrance of Christianity into the Western world. What were the common social practices? What were the cultural practices? And then, after three or f- two or three hundred years of the influence of Christianity, how the culture has changed. Uh, it's only by that kind of a comparison it becomes absolutely clear that it's a result of the Christian... Christian. Let me just say this. All this talk today about equality and about rights... Uh, let me remind you that that is a concept that is an, a, a Christian concept. Uh, in no civilization prior to the Christian civilization were, were everybody uh, viewed as equal and with equal dignity and with equal rights. It is true that rights were extended, but to either the, the people who had uh, the class that had the money or the aristoc- arist- uh, aristocrats, but the concept that everybody has rights, everybody has a level of equality, everybody made in the image of God and therefore has equal value and dignity, it, it is not something you find in the secular world. It's not something that you can find in uh, those who hold a, a, a materialistic philosophy or a communistic philosophy. Uh, it is only found in Western civilization where the, the 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 church and the Christian faith has completely transformed the culture. It is not found outside the Christian faith. I don't know if that helps, Brother Erskine. It sure did, Pastor Murphy. Um, here's another question. We know that women is not to be a pastor, but is it biblically acceptable for a woman to be a seminary teacher? Well, again, it comes back to the whole matter of, of what is the Paul is writing in relation to what pertains in the church. He wrote Timothy, and he told Timothy, look, I want to tell you how uh, to behave in the church and what is the order for the church. So Paul is dealing here specifically with what happens within the assembly uh, of worship, etc., etc. I personally 
would have some misgivings of a woman officially teaching doctrine to a man, even in the theological seminary. If she wants to teach theology, let her teach theology to women. Uh, but that authoritative role to teach theology, um, if she's preparing, and, and generally in, in theological seminaries, you're preparing men for the ministry. You're preparing men to lead. Uh, I have a problem believing that uh, that authoritative role of teaching doctrine and, uh, and, and imparting uh, leadership skills, etc., to men, I think that ought to be the domain of men. Um, and I, I, I personally feel that when it comes to th- that area of, of authoritative teaching of doctrine, um, I think that should be restricted uh, to men teaching men in, in that regard. Now, that doesn't mean in a theological seminary a, a, a woman couldn't teach um, what um, something on church history, um, um, a course in, in English or, or a course in uh, psychology or sociology or, or whatever. But I do have a problem uh, looking at the scriptures of a woman teaching a man doctrinally, doctrine authoritatively uh, I, I think that role ought to belong to, to men. So there then, you are putting certain limitations on the women for, um, only for doctrinal um, teachings? Well, again, to go back to what Paul says, I am, look, I am shut up to what the Bible teaches. Uh, I am personally, I'm not influenced by cultural changes. Uh, I'm not influenced by the idea that women are, are, are well-educated today and therefore we ought to change the way we do things. I am just simply saying all I'm shut up to is the Scripture. I have one manual to guide me as a Christian, as a pastor, as a leader, and that is Scripture. And where the Bible restricts the role of leadership and the teaching of doctrine to men and, 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 and give that specifically to men, that is what God says. I'm, I'm, I'm shut up to that, and I'm not in any way inclined to, to change my thinking or my, my practice in that regard, because I think that's where, where God puts... It's like the home. Are we now to say that a man cannot be the head of the home because a woman got all this education and culture believes in equality? Uh, must we now reverse roles, and must we put uh, people on the, the, the two heads now instead of one head? Again, th- th- does God know what he's doing? And when God came up with an original plan, could he not have foreseen all that we are faced with today? Uh, did he not know what is best? Uh, does he, is he not the engineer that created man? Uh, is he not the one that knows what's best for society? Are we wiser than God? All I can say to you as a, as a, a Christian, as a person who holds the scripture, um, I am one that am a Bible intoxicated man. And where the Bible lays a restriction, I lay a restriction. Where the Bible offers freedom, uh, I am open to that level of freedom. Good, thank you very much, Pastor Murphy. We have a question here. Was it a command for women to call their husband Lord because men thought they were above reproach like Sarah did? Look, what uh, uh, Peter is here dealing with uh, let's not get bogged down in the specific jargon that was used uh, in this particular passage. What Peter is clearly talking about in this passage is about a woman understanding her her, her need to be submissive to her husband and to uh, respond to him with respect. It doesn't mean she has to call him sir or she has to call him lord. That was the Old Testament method of showing respect and dignity to a, a husband, etc. But what Peter is really talking about is that a wife has to understand 
uh, that the biblical role that God's assigned to her, two things she must do for her husband. She must learn to submit to her husband. And that doesn't mean that she's a rug or that she is some kind of a, a mat that he abuses. It just means she ranks under him. That's what the word means. Just like a, in the army, you've got, a, uh, you got seniority and you've got uh, others underneath. That's what it means, rank under. It has nothing to do with inferiority, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It has to do, again, God is the God of order. Someone has to be the head. And the other thing that she has to do is to show him respect. So submission and respect are, are what to do uh, to a, a woman, uh, a man's uh, a husband, by a wife. In regards to a, a man, he has two mandates from God. He's supposed to love his wife and love her self-sacrificially, and he's also supposed to take care of her and meet her needs. So God is, is not a one-sided approach. The wife submits and shows respect. The man loves and demonstrates his care. That is the norm, the biblical norm for a, a home. There are other specifics, but these are the basic fundamental principles that are essential for the effective running of a home. If you have a wife that doesn't learn to submit, doesn't speak to her husband with respect, the, the family breaks down. If you have a home where a husband doesn't love his wife or doesn't take care of his wife, the family breaks down. So let us not um, get bogged down in the particular expression. The concept behind all of this is that a woman would have a, 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 what Paul Peter calls here a meek and a quiet spirit. She must not be a belligerent person, uh, almost mannish in her mannerisms. She must uh, show finesse and, and thoughtfulness and that kind of natural beauty that belongs to a woman in terms of how she responds. Thank you very much, Pastor Murphy. We have two questions here. We have a WhatsApp from Antigua. And the first one, the question is, what does the Bible say about feminism? Should a Christian be a feminist? Well, it depends on how a person defines feminism. If you mean by uh, a, a feminist, a person who wants equality in education, uh, equality on CEO boards, equality in politics, uh, equality in, in, um, in um, social standing, etc., I don't think anybody would have any dispute about that because it, we all want equality. There's no question about that. We all share the same image of God. We all have, have dignity. Uh, women ought to be paid like men are paid. Uh, if they do the job that a man does. Uh, but I think there's a, a, an extreme position on feminism uh, that we need to be very careful about because like everything else, people tend to go to extreme. Uh, a woman should never consider a marriage as a 50-50. It's not a 50-50, it's a 100-100. But at the same time, there, someone must lead the home. That assignment has been given to God. Same thing in the church. Everybody in the church are equal before God spiritually. They neither male nor female. But God has assigned that leadership role to men. Uh, so I am for women. If you want to be considered a feminist in the sense that you want uh, equality, I don't have a problem with that. But if you begin to push down the barriers now, where you want women to take positions that God has demarcated for men, now we have a battle. Now we have problems. The Bible said we are all equal in Christ. That's the perfect. Yeah, there's nothing wrong. Equal, when, read the passage in, um, I think it's the Galatians, Galatians. Paul said that neither Jew nor Gentile, that neither uh, born uh, f- bond or free, uh, that neither male nor female. If you read the context of that whole passage, by the way, it has to do with equality in terms of our spiritual standing before God. <laughs> it has nothing to do with equality of roles. Uh, a man is the head of the home. No question about that. The, the man has been given the assignment to be the pastor of the church. No question about that. So we're not talking about equality of roles. We're talking about equality of spiritual standing before God. So let's not uh, take 
scripture out of context, rip it out of context, and then apply it to a situation it doesn't apply to. And that has substantially been the problem today, where people have not looked at the context of the scripture to see what the Bible is teaching. They've just grabbed one text and then uh, interpret that text to fit into a kind of a, a mindset or a worldview that is completely alien to scripture. Okay, Pastor Murphy, here's another question. What's that message? How can you say that Christianity has ended polygamy when so many men of God in the Bible have multiple wives? Again, fair question. Let me just say this. We must remember that everything in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is not something that God necessarily approved. Uh, uh, Unless it is uh, prescribed by God, it's a description of what was happening uh, at the period of time. God dealt with men at the level of their understanding, at the level of their progress, their culture, uh, et cetera, et cetera. For example, uh, if I might not, I don't want to deviate, but when it comes to this whole matter of slavery, for example, I hope one day we'll discuss this. Uh, slavery is not something that God endorsed. Slavery is something that God limited in the Old Testament. He found a system and he put parameters as to what so as to limit the, the, the cruelty that was administered under slavery. But it's not something he prescribed. Same thing with divorce. It's not something that God loves, but he, he prescribed, he circumscribed it because he wants to limit the damage. Because where God finds man, he operates with man in that cultural setting. And uh, he puts restrictions and guidelines as to what man can, can do. Coming back to the question, repeat the question again. Oh, polygamy. Yeah. yeah. Let me just say this. Again, it, it is true that Abraham, uh, uh, David, and um, others had multiple wives. Again, do not think that God sanctions that. Uh, that is what the culture was. That's a custom, and uh, et, cetera, et cetera. But that's not something that God sanctioned. Our Lord uh, set the record straight in Matthew chapter 19. And by the way, could I point out another thing that you need to be aware of? That there is something called progressive revelation. That God has been progressively dealing with man at different stages until now we come to the New Testament where you've got the fullness of that revelation. So you cannot take a, a, a Old Testament teaching, for example, unless it has a New Testament base uh, to impose it in this dispensation of grace. Uh, uh, God has been progressively revealing more and more and more, giving man more and more light. The more light we've got, the more responsibility comes with that light. But but take polygamy, for example. Um, While God acknowledged that that was so, warts and all. By the way, the Bible hides nothing about um, the saints in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's very, very transparent. We must not assume that because God records what, what these people did, that God sanctioned it. Clearly, if you look at the lives of most of these men that were polygamous, it created misery within the home. Look at Jacob. Look at Abraham. Uh, and see the misery that resulted as a result of polygamy. But what Christ did in Matthew chapter 19 to explain that from the beginning, this was not God's plan. That God made one man, one woman. And it was God's intention that that be a permanent union. But what happened in the process is that man always deviates. Anything man touches, he corrupts. He corrupts marriage, he corrupts everything. So what happened in the Old Testament, basically, is that rather than follow what God had laid down, the principle of one man, one woman, within a monogamous relationship that is permanent, 
uh, man in his evil now uh, began to allow his passions to gain the better of him and therefore he deviated from God's standard and committed these acts. But when our Lord came now and brought us back to what God's intention was, let me just say this, the final word on any doctrine or any practice is not the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. That is the final will of God for mankind and for planet Earth. Thank you very much, Pastor Murphy. We have a WhatsApp here from Dominica. And thanks to those of you who have called and sent in your question. Pastor Murphy, here's this question. Probably you have dealt with this in previous um, program before, but here's the question. Please explain the man role in the church and woman role in the church. Well, again, we go back to um, Paul's directives uh, to Timothy. And remember that the only three pastoral epistles, there's First and Second Timothy in the book of Titus. If we want uh, clear instruction as how the church is to be ordered, we go to those particular books. And then the other epistles that Paul wrote, of course, uh, the Corinthians and the Ephesians, etc., where he, he elaborates on the, the, um, the worship and what God expects within the assembly, especially, I would say, Ephesians, which deals a lot with the church. Um, but in terms of Scripture, the role of a man in the church is to lead the church and the one that teaches author- doctrine authoritatively. That's the assigned role that is given uh, to pastors and to deacons. Um, we have no indication anywhere in the Scriptures, anywhere in the first century, uh, where women perform any of those particular roles. Those are roles assigned to men. Women... Uh, they've got so much they can do. For example, 12 different women are identified in Paul's writings that Paul called them my fellow laborers. Uh, they work with Paul conjointly, um, assisted Paul in, in, in the ministry. Uh, so clearly women played a vital role in New Testament times in terms of the ministry, but that role was not the pastoral role. Paul never wrote uh, to a, a woman pastor yet because they didn't exist. He never gave any instructions to a woman pastor. They didn't exist, right? Uh, but a woman, women, uh, for example, I, I mentioned in the previous uh, um, program that one of the great ministries that assigned to women that women have neglected to the point where it's, it's incredible that they all seem to want to have this leadership role and, 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 and control in the church. When Paul said one of the greatest roles a woman has in the New Testament church is for a senior adult woman, woman to take younger women under their arms and teach them uh, and mentor them, especially in relation uh, to the home and to the family life and how to take care of a husband and her children, etc. It is spelled out so clearly, but yet this is one of the most uh, neglected ministries uh, in, in the church. For example, a lot of women get married today, they can't even cook. They can't even wash. They know IT, they, they know math, they know geography and English, but they can't even function within the home. Uh, how is the home going to last? Uh, must we go out for TV dinners? Must we go out to Kentucky? Uh, they can't bake. They, they, they <laughs> it is really sad that this is what we've come to today. And I know because most women want to be career women. There's nothing wrong with being a career woman. But if you are called to be married and to have children, you better learn how to cook. You better learn how to wash, how to take care of the home, and how to how to manage the, the home, etc., etc. That's the role that is given to a great extent 
uh, Paul mentions in regard to the senior women, in regard to the younger women. Again, look, some of the best persons in the church for missionary committees, for heading up uh, prayer ministries, um, for work. Uh, there's a tremendous ministry needed for working with kids. Uh, Bible club ministries. Uh, my wife has uh, uh, conducts three times a week in our school uh, a Bible club ministry, and uh, teach them Bible flannel graph stories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, she has about s- between sixty and eighty kids every single well for three times a week. At this, there's a need for that in other schools. Uh, these kids gravitate towards visual aids. This is the age now we can shape them and form them. But where are the ladies that are willing to go to the schools to instruct the children in, in the things of our faith? Uh, so there's so much work that needs to be done. Vacation Bible school is another area. Missions trips is another area that women can get involved in. Uh, a woman, if she really wants to be very, very influential, why doesn't she consider marrying a pastor, becoming a pastor's wife, to work conjointly with him? in the ministry to help further the, ch- the ministry of the church. Um, so there's so many things. Uh, and by the way, let me just say this. I am one person that strongly believe that without women, most churches wouldn't be able to function. Uh, another one that comes to mind very quickly is being the secretarial jobs within the church. So uh, there's a lot of work there for ladies. But again, God is sovereign and God in His wisdom has made certain restrictions in relation to the home and to the church. And I am not going to play God to change the order in which God has set out for the church. My responsibility as a pastor, as a Christian, is to follow the divine order. I am not wiser than God. I may not even think that, uh, I, I, I might even think I, 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 if I would like to change that. But I can't change that because this is God's word and God is wiser than I am and God has a right to set forth the standards and the order that he wants for his church and for his home. We must submit the scripture and let that be the final authority in these matters. So, Pastor Murphy, there are many uh, ministries for women there that are available, but certainly it seems like there are some that most women avoid. Okay, you're listening to That Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Pastor Murphy, you had mentioned about career women. And I have a a question here. Is it biblically acceptable for a woman to be a president or a prime minister of a country? Well, again, let's go back to Scripture. Paul has nothing to say about presidency, prime ministership, prime ministership, etc., etc. I do believe that God has given the burden of leadership to men. And I think you can trace it from the very beginning of Genesis right through to the, the end of Revelation. That that is the burden that God has placed towards men, uh, that burden to lead. But again, there, there are always exceptions in regard to, to public affairs. You look into the Old Testament, uh, you find Deborah, uh, you find Esther. Um, and those are two that immediately comes t- t- to mind. They played a, a leadership role uh, in, in civil government. I don't find anything restrictive in Scripture that would prevent a woman from being a prime minister or, or being a, um, a leader of government. I, there's there's no, no biblical restriction uh, in, in that regard. As a matter of fact, I do feel that um, two things bother me in that one good and one bad. One, the good thing about I think that women are far more sympathetic, far more understanding uh, in understanding problems, 
that you have to deal with in society. Um, I think, for example, of your Minister of Culture. I, I've met with her and I've spoken to her, been to meetings with her. She's clearly a woman who has a heart for people. No question about that. Uh, she, uh, you can, you, it almost comes across when you talk to her, uh, her, her interest in the welfare uh, not only of women, but of the poor and the needy. I, I think that is something unique to women. They just have this capacity for compassion. So I think in, in those kind of positions, especially, I think they can do a tremendous job in that regard. Um, so I, I think that they, they, they have a role to play. Uh, I think if God is, uh, wants to bring about uh, change in society and the woman feels that she can fulfill that particular task, um, I say go. Uh, God bless you. Uh, do your best and uh, just make sure that you don't become corrupt by the system. That's all I would say to you. So you wouldn't have any problem a woman being a prime minister of Antigua and Barbuda? Absolutely not. Uh, as a matter of fact, look at some of the great leaders in the past, Queen Elizabeth, uh, Queen Victoria. Look at the Iron Woman we had there, Eugenia Charles and Dominica. Look at Margaret Thatcher. Um, these are exceptions, really, because they're not the, the, um, the norm. But look at the influences women have had. Uh, I can't see any biblical restriction why that, why that should not be so. Pastor Murphy, we have a WhatsApp message here again. And here's the question, Pastor Murphy. God put his spirit in all flesh. Why women cannot be preacher? Or why women cannot preach? Again, look, nobody disputes that every person was born again. Uh, As a matter of fact, you cannot be born again except you have the spirit of God. Uh, John chapter 3 uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. So that's not the, the matter of dispute. The, 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 the matter that we need to understand is this. Does that mean, therefore, that the same God that gives uh, the spirit, that are all apostles, are all prophets, uh, are all evangelists, do all have the, the gift of interpretation of tongues or tongues? Uh, th- that's not the issue. The issue that God has a right to say to his church, this is the order that I want within my church. Again, the church is not something that man instituted. Christ said, I will build my church. The same Christ that built, is building his church is the same Christ that regulates what happens within his church and sets the divine order uh, for the church. So it's not a matter that a woman, she has the spirit uh, and uh, men have the spirit. Therefore, she has. Let's go back to the thing of marriage again. Does not the husband have the spirit? Does not the wife have the spirit? But it's not the man the head? So because she has the spirit and he has the spirit, no. So now we must reverse roles. You've got two heads. No, God has set the order. Let's follow the divine order. Here is the major problem today, see? The church, in attempting to be relevant, is adapting, adopting, adapting to the culture of the times and the spirit of the times, even though in the process they're violating the very clear principles of Scripture. And I'll tell you why this is happening. And here's it. Because we conveniently believe that part of the Bible that we want to believe. We don't seem to believe that the Bible is really authoritative as it is. It's not God's final word. Uh, There are people today who believe that God is still revealing, outside of Scripture, His will. Uh, But again, as a Christian, the Bible is complete. It is God's final word. God has told us exactly what His, His will is. We must stick by God's will, even though we want to be relevant. We must not attempt to be relevant by violating the norms and the standards that God has laid down for His church. That is called disobedience. Look, I just want to mention something that uh, people may not be aware of. But the great architects of civil freedom and justice were men like uh, St. Ambrose, 
Stephen Langston, John Locke, uh, Thomas Jefferson, and, and James Madison. Uh, John Locke, for example, he is the one that wrote two treatises on, on government and, uh, in, in, uh, in 1694. What is interesting is that Locke uh, made it very clear that people had natural rights, and those natural rights came from natural law, and that natural law came from divine creation. So the whole concept of modern rights, where we, where we get these rights from, the, the, the guy that laid the foundation for so-called human rights and, and justice today, they believe that God had given men uh, three things, uh, the right to life, uh, the right to liberty, and the right to property. And they argued that those rights are not something that a generous uh, government uh, gave to people or some benevolent secular government uh, uh, gave to man. Uh, the claim was that these are natural rights given by the Creator. And uh, as, as Locke goes on to say that only tyrants uh, violate these natural rights that really belong to man. So they had a healthy fear of the government taking away rights that were actually God-given rights, those basic fundamental rights. But get this, they laid the foundation for the concept of rights and justice, equal justice in, in, the, in, the, in the modern democracies and the Western world. But they grounded it, not in secular philosophy, not in atheism. It was grounded in the biblical principle of creation that Adam was created free, he was made in the image of God, and he had the rights to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Out of those principles, these other principles of liberty, life, and, and property were, were um, brought into the fore in the Western world. Thank you very much, Pastor Murphy. It was a wonderful program this evening. I do trust that our listeners have been blessed and encouraged from the answers that were given. And we'd like to thank those who have called in we do appreciate you doing so, and we do trust that you will continue to listen to That's Choose. I am Augustine Erskine, wishing you a very pleasant evening. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.